If you turn with me this morning to Hebrews, this morning will be our, our third and uh, last uh, time considering the topic of baptism for these few weeks, and then we'll return to our series to the Gospel of Mark. I'm going to read uh, several verses from Hebrews 9 and from Hebrews 10. So in Hebrews 9, beginning in verse 6, uh, the writer here has been talking about various uh, implements of the temple and sacrifices and ceremonies that God had given to uh, Israel, and ultimately talking about how Christ is the fulfillment of those. So Hebrews 6, verse, or Hebrews 9, sorry, beginning with verse 6. This is God's holy and fallible word. Now when these things have been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle, performing the divine worship. But into the second, only the high priest enters once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle still is standing, which is a symbol for the present time. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience since they relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until a time of reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? For this reason he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. And then over to chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brethren, since we have con confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an, a, an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. I'll end the reading there this morning. Well, in addition to uh, blonde jokes and lawyer jokes and other Categories. I discovered a, a joke type uh, a while back. Uh, dry jokes, uh, not not dry humor, um, but jokes that apparently rose out of the droughts in in southwestern uh, United States. Um, I was reminded of these in reading about the the drought that uh, Colorado is apparently under uh, for a while. So here here's a little sampling of uh, drought sayings or jokes. Uh, so dry, I'm spitting cotton. Uh, it's dry as the heart of a haystack, or it's so dry the cows are giving powdered milk. Uh, 
Uh, it's so dry they had to close two lanes at the swimming pool. Uh, and then pertaining to our topic today, uh, it's so dry the Baptists are sprinkling, uh, the Methodists the Methodists are spitting, and the Presbyterians are giving rain checks. So hopefully we might get that to that point. Um, but they, again, this is our final week in talking about baptism, and we're talking today about the, the mode of baptism, that is, the, the how, what, um, what, what do we do with the water, and, and why. And, and in some ways today we'll uh, lean a little more in the direction of, of teaching rather than preaching, except that I hope that, that all three of these weeks, if, if you've been here, are, we're holding these together. Um, in terms of thinking of the meaning of baptism, the promise that it is to us, the significance even for our lives ongoingly, uh, now, uh, who it's for, how God embraces families uh, in his promises, and so on. So uh, the, the first week we considered the meaning of baptism. It points to our union with Christ and our, our washing from our sins and, and marks us as a, mar- a member of his body, of the church, and um, I, I urged you in that to consider your baptism, to grow in it, to benefit from it. Uh, and then secondly, last week we looked at uh, who receives baptism, and we uh, largely assumed that, that uh, believers receive baptism, but also their children. We considered that, what God's promises embrace families and the children of believers, and um, his promise to be faithful to uh, generation to generation. So again, today we're going to discuss the, the how of baptism. And uh, I think this is a topic that's uh, important to consider, but in part we'll be thinking about how important is it or how important isn't it. It's not um, uh, the most crucial thing. But what do the scriptures teach about how we do baptism? Uh, do they point us toward a certain way? Is there, is there meaning in the mode of baptism? Um, and, and as we study, again, I hope that you'll be reminded again of the blessing of Christ's blood washing you clean um, from sin and restoring fellowship uh, with God. So again, this morning, uh, looking at number two on your outline there, we're considering again an issue that, that other brothers in Christ, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, see uh, differently, have a different perspective. Um, thankfully, it's, we're not talking about a critical issue or a gospel issue here, but one that we do want to understand and consider carefully what, what God's Word says and, and how it uh, guides our practice. So uh, I want to just briefly go over the position of, of our Baptist brothers and sisters uh, on this, on the mode of baptism uh, and how, how it's done. Um, again, it's a, theirs is a more strict, a more narrow view uh, of baptism, just as last week when we were talking about uh, baptizing children or infants, um, our, our Baptist brothers and sisters would regard those as not baptisms, right? They're not, not legitimate baptisms. Um, uh, also, when we're talking about the mode, um, generally, most, most Baptists would believe that only immersion, right, uh, submerging someone completely under the water and bringing them out, that's the only biblical mode of baptism. So anything other than that is not, not actually uh, a baptism. Um, you, you haven't been baptized. So here's a couple of reasons for that 
for that position as we consider that a little this morning. Uh, one reason that, that that position is held to is because of a supposed connection with um, baptism being an, an illustration of the burial and the resurrection of Christ. So it's, it's understood to actually picture visibly going under the water and coming out of the water, the, the burial and the resurrection of Christ. So Romans 6 that we read a couple of weeks ago um, is, is pointed to as a significant passage in that connection. Paul says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Um, Colossians 2 would be another passage they would point to, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. Uh, so that this understanding is that the, the mode of baptism is necessary to convey part of the meaning of baptism, part of our, our union with Christ. It pictures uh, burial and, and raising to life. Um, closely related to that, um, many would understand uh, that, that water, and, and water does in the Bible sometimes picture judgment, floods and, and things like that. And so there's a, a picture of passing through judgment um, of our sins um, uh, to life. Okay? Uh, the, the second reason that many hold uh, to uh, immersion as a mode of baptism is the, the, the understanding of the word baptize or baptism, um, the, the Greek words that are behind that. Um, bapto, baptizo, baptismos, um, nouns and verbs and uh, root words and so on. Um, the understanding is that word always means to immerse, to, to dunk something completely underwater. Um, and so it's, it's, we should understand it as a requirement to do that because of the, the understood meaning of the word. So hopefully that, that's a fair summary, very brief summary of the reason that, that many, probably most Americans today, uh, would hold to that view of, of the mode of baptism. So in the next three points here this morning, I, I want to give something of a, as we consider um, how, how we understand the Bible to, to teach on these things, give something of a response to that um, under three questions that you'll see there on your outline. The first is a more general question, and the last two are more specific um, to this. And, and my goal is to consider with you why, <clears throat> why we don't understand the Bible to require uh, a certain mode, uh, particularly immersion, um, and, and whether then the scriptures point us um, in the direction of, of some other way of doing baptism. Okay. So the first question, the general question, is, is, is the mode of baptism critical? Is, is this, um, do we understand this to be something that, that the scriptures would under, have us understand to be really essential to what baptism is? So uh, when we're thinking about um, the sacraments, the Lord's Supper, baptism, or even just worship in general, there's, there's a couple of very helpful categories to keep in mind. So one is those things that are essential or critical Right, the, the, the elements that God has given us to use and the, the truths that are behind those that they point to. Um, but then there are other details in our, in our worship and our practice of the sacraments that we would call circumstantial. 
Okay, they, they just have to do with our particular circumstances. They're left to our wisdom, to, to common sense. And they're not things that, that God requires or that the scriptures um, uh, regulate. So here's how that, think about the Lord's Supper and how that would apply to the Lord's Supper first. What's, what's essential to the Lord's Supper? Well, certainly the bread and the cup. Right? These are the elements that Christ gave us that, that represent his body and his blood and, and his death. Right, his death in our place. So um, those would seem to be essential. And replacing those with pizza and Pepsi or you know, candy and Hawaiian punch wouldn't seem to um, you know, follow Christ's institution. Wouldn't be, be appropriate or, or acceptable. Or to to leave out one or the other. Um, you know, the Roman Catholic Church for 900 years didn't serve the the wine to the congregants until 1970. Right. So that that wouldn't be. Um, appropriate. It's an essential part of, of sharing in the Lord's Supper. Okay, uh, circumstantial to the Lord's Supper might be, you know, how much bread everyone gets, or what the recipe of the bread is, or how often it's celebrated. Things like this are not regulated in God's Word. Right? They're left to our our common sense, um, and these aren't things that make it the Lord's Supper or not the Lord's Supper. Right? So how does that apply to baptism? What's, what's essential in baptism? What's essential is the water, right? We all, we all agree. Uh, all Christians, I think, agree about that, that. Using the water to baptize someone into the name of the triune God, right? Baptize into a relationship with this God, right? That's, um, that, that's what we understand to be essential. Um, circumstantial, we would understand to, to be uh, the amount of water used, Right or what's said before and after the baptism, or uh, the posture of the person being baptized, are they held, are they kneeling, are they standing, the, the time of day that it's done. We could go on and on with circumstantial things that aren't, aren't essential um, to, to baptism. So um, uh, our, our church, Reformed churches in general, accept various modes of baptism, right? Sprinkling or pouring or... Um, immersion, right, is not something that's that's essential to the meaning uh, of baptism. Um, so uh, we would understand the scriptures not to teach that that's something that's that's critical. That, that doesn't make the issue unimportant, and that's partly why we're talking about it this morning. Um, but it's it's not critical. It's not something that establishes or cancels legitimacy uh, of a baptism. Okay. So the second question, uh, a couple more specific questions then. The second question is, what, what is the meaning of, of the Greek words behind baptism or baptize? Okay? Um, the, the plain Greek word used in the Bible or outside of the Bible in, in ancient Greek means, generally means to dip something. Okay? Um, but you'll know from our, our, remember from our study of, of hermeneutics or how to read the Bible in recent weeks, uh, the most important thing to consider and think about what, what does a word mean in any literature, the Bible or any other literature, is not necessarily what the dictionary says or the etymology, but how it's used, right? How it's used, where it's used. And, and the word baptism or baptize takes on a, a specific theological, technical meaning in, in the Bible. It has to do with using water for some some religious purification, right? So using water, and, and, it, and it has to do with the, the outcome of that as well, okay? Um, so to, to maintain the, the understanding that, that the word baptize always and has to mean to immerse, it would have to mean that 100% of the time in all the examples we have. And 
Um, and in fact, there are many examples to the, to the contrary. But where baptize or baptism, even in the Bible, doesn't mean to submerge something underwater. So here's, here's just a few examples uh, of that. Um, one, one resource that, that's very helpful in this connection is the Septuagint. You've probably heard of the Septuagint. It's the, the Old Testament, but translated into Greek, so into ancient Greek. So around the time, uh, you know, same language as the New Testament. Um, same words. So Leviticus 14, in the Septuagint, we have uh, the, the process for cleansing a leper. Right, we, can, we talked about leprosy several weeks ago, Jesus healing the leper. Uh, the lepers were effectively quarantined from the rest of the town to, to protect people uh, unless they were, were healed. Their, their skin disease went away. Then they could come and see the priest, and the priest would pronounce them clean. You can go live with your family. You can live in the town again. But they would go through this, this ritual as well. And the ritual is this. The priest was to take, a, and we won't talk about why of all these things, but... Uh, was to take a block of wood, uh, a scarlet piece of cloth, a branch of hyssop, and then two birds. And you'd take one, he would take one bird, kill the bird, and drain its blood, and then dip the block of wood, the piece of cloth, the whole branch, and the other bird in the blood. And, and the word that's used repeatedly there is, is baptize. It's to baptize all of these things. And you can imagine the tiny little bit of blood that comes from a bird, you, you can't immerse a block of wood and a branch and, and so on, all of these things um, in, in the blood of the other birds. So um, anyways, kind of a kind of a, a, a obscure example, but this is the word that we're talking about. Other examples, uh, Daniel chapter 4 and 5, if you remember Nebuchadnezzar goes crazy for a while, he lives out in the, in the wilderness, in the fields. And this, this Greek word is, is used to describe how he's baptized in the dew in the morning. And we understand how condensation at night works. A little bit of moisture comes down on you. Uh, nothing like being submerged under the water, right? Uh, just, just something that gets you wet. Uh, Luke 11, one, one more example, Luke 11 in the New Testament. Uh, the Pharisees are astonished that Jesus doesn't wash himself before dinner. And they, they use the word baptize. They're astonished Jesus doesn't baptize himself before dinner. And they're talking about a, um, a ritual cleansing, not something that's in the Bible, but it was part of their culture, part of their tradition of the Pharisees. Um, they complain elsewhere about the disciples not doing this, and they describe them not washing their hands. Right? It was a ritual that the Talmud describes this. It involved pouring some water over your hands in, in a ritual before you eat dinner every day. So you, you pour up to the wrists and there's specifics about how you do this. Again, the, the point is that the word baptize is used of something that's just a little bit of water for ritual purpose. Okay, not, not submersing yourself um, under the water. Okay, and there are in fact many more examples of that. So uh, that's, that's different than the, those who understand that baptism, the word has to mean immersion. It, it can mean that. Sometimes it does mean that. Uh, in the Bible, it almost always doesn't mean that, in fact. It means to dip something or to pour water on something or, or, or use a little bit of water in a, in a ceremonial way. Okay? And then the, the biggest question, um, number five on your outline then, uh, how, is, how is cleansing from sin pictured in the water of baptism? And does the, baptism, does, does the Bible point us to a particular way of, of doing it? Um, it, it, it really is a, a, a good um, 
an important thing to consider. Is, is it essential that we should understand the, the burial and, and resurrection of Christ illustrated in baptism? Uh, you know, Romans 6 and Colossians 2 should, it should at least give us pause to think about that. Okay? Um, so, so consider first, though, that I, I think that, that supposed analogy between being buried and raising again is really never stated in the Bible or, or even implied. So Romans 6 is uh, the most important passage in that connection for our, our Baptist brothers and sisters. Um, Paul's not talking about baptism in that passage. He's, he's talking about union with Christ. That's, that's the topic. Um, uh, he's certainly not discussing the mode of baptism, uh, the way that, that baptism is done. Um, but also consider the fact that there are other aspects to our union with Christ um, that are not pictured in baptism. Um, so they're certainly not pictured in, in immersion baptism or, or any other mode of baptism. So Galatians 2.20, Paul says, you've been crucified together with Christ. Um, there's nothing in baptism that pictures a crucifixion on a cross. Uh, Galatians 3, as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Their baptism is connected with the imagery of putting on Christ. The imagery is putting on a garment. Right? Should we maybe think that there's something essential in baptism that, that requires an illustration of putting something on? First um, Corinthians 12, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body and have been made to drink one spirit. So in baptism you are made to drink one spirit. Um, again, by, by the logic, um, you know, should we be drinking the water um, in baptism to illustrate our union with Christ? Um, that, that's not anyone's understanding as far as I know. Here's how John Murray summarized. He says, there are many aspects to our union with Christ. And it's arbitrary to, to, to select one aspect and find in that the language uh, set forth as the essence of the mode of baptism, the, the way that we do it. So I think the, the conclusion is there's, there's not evidence that the New Testament assumes or requires um, one mode, requires immersion, uh, certainly because of an analogy to one part of our union with Christ or another. There, there are other analogies used. Um, Death and resurrection is, is just one, and so we'd have to select we'd have to select one, and that it's never made explicit at all in connection with actually how baptism is done. Uh, but at this point, then, is there a particular mode? Is there a way of doing baptism um, suggested to us by the meaning of baptism or by by the New Testament? Um, a particular way we might do it, and I think the answer is yes. Um, not necessarily a way that we we must do it. Um, but certainly a way the Bible points us to doing it. I, I think the case can be made for two different ways of doing baptism. And um, I'm more, more compelling for the, the second one um, that our church essentially uses. But I'll note the first um, as well. So some churches have noted that, that baptism is connected often to the work of the Holy Spirit and to receiving the Holy Spirit. Um, frequently, baptism speaks of Bible talks about baptized with or baptized by the Holy Spirit. Um, so that's what's promised in Matthew three, John the Baptist, when he is doing his baptism, and he says, "Someone else is coming." Speaking of Jesus, who will baptize you with the Spirit and with fire, right? And that's fulfilled at least very particularly at, at Pentecost, um, when when the Holy Spirit comes on those there. Um, Acts chapter 1, 
Uh, in verse 8, Jesus says before his ascension, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And there's the idea in Pentecost of the Holy Spirit coming on people, and the, the tongues of fire, and uh, a, a visual of that as well. Um, and, and then when Peter, Peter preaches at, at Pentecost, he speaks of the Holy Spirit, whom God has poured out on you yourselves. Uh, God poured out the Holy Spirit uh, on them. Um, it fulfills the promise of Joel chapter 2 in the Old Testament as well. It shall come to pass, God says, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So some, some churches have um, used this method of, of pouring water over someone because of that, that connection of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we're baptized by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is poured out on us. I, I think there's an even stronger connection to another, uh, another method. Uh, first, I want to note... Again, that we, we agree with um, our Baptist brothers and sisters that baptism points to cleansing from sin. Um, and, and many Baptists insist that, again, in immersion we see water as a symbol of judgment. Right? You, you pass under, all the way under the water as a symbol of, of judgment of sin. Well, that, that, that visual connection is really never, never stated in the Bible. Um, or even implied, but we, we do, again, we do agree, we do believe that baptism necessarily pictures washing and forgiveness uh, by judgment of sin. That's the only way that sin is forgiven, right? When, when our sins are, are judged, right, in, in Christ. Um, but, but what it points to uh, is blood, right? It points to blood. We're washed by the blood of Jesus who died, who shed his blood, on your behalf. That, that's the connection that's made explicit over and over again uh, in the Bible and, and, and even in connection with, um, with Christ's blood or with, with baptism. Okay? Um, baptism symbolizes cleansing by Christ's blood. Um, how is that pictured in the New Testament? Well, this is where I want to go back to uh, Hebrews uh, that we read earlier um, and, and several other passages. So Hebrews 9, again, verse 13. As if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons, that is, sprinkling is using a little bit of water or blood or something, just a small amount for ritual purpose. Um, if that, with the ashes of a heifer, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ? So the, the writer of the Hebrews is saying that, that sprinkling of the Old Testament of blood on people, uh, ceremonially, didn't ultimately forgive their sins. It was, it was the sprinkling of Christ's blood on his people that forgave sins. Uh, Hebrews 12 speaks of Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, the, the sprinkled blood of Christ on his people. First uh, Peter 1, 2. Uh, Peter writes, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. He's speaking of what, what Christians have been called to. They're called to obedience to Christ. By the, they've been sprinkled clean by his blood. So over and over again in the New Testament, it speaks of us being sprinkled clean by Christ's blood, washed of our sins. Right? This is what baptism pictures. This is what's sealed to us in baptism, our, our cleansing from sin, by the blood of Christ. We now have access to God. You have access to God. You've been covered by Christ's blood. Right? It didn't have to be your blood. 
Um, it couldn't be your blood. Now, in, in the Old Testament, who had intimate access to the presence of God? This is part of what Hebrews is, is talking about. Who had access to the intimate presence of God visually in the Old Testament? It was the priests, right? Only the priests served in the temple, in, inside, uh, or in the tabernacle, in the holy place, or especially in the holiest place. And how were the priests prepared to go into the special presence of God? Well, one description of that is Numbers 8 where God says, take the Levites from among the people and cleanse them. This is how you should cleanse them. Sprinkle the water of purification on them. They were sprinkled with water as a symbol of their being cleansed to be in the presence of God, to be united to God. So it signified his, his forgiveness, his, his welcoming them into his presence. Well, in the New Testament, this is what's true of all of you of all of us as believers, right? We have the doctrine of the priesthood of believers. All of you have access to, to, to intimate fellowship with God. There's, there's no, uh, the temple it serves as no barrier in that way anymore, um, or, or geographic location. Uh, we today here, far from, far from Palestine, are gathered in, in the presence of God. Um, you have that intimate fellowship all the time. And Hebrews is saying the same thing. All of you have this great blessing now. All of you have been sprinkled clean uh, with, with the waters of cleansing or with the blood of Christ, um, like was always done to the priests um, because of the final sacrifice of Jesus and the love of Jesus for you by his blood. So we might legitimately ask, how would the early New Testament church have assumed to have been cleansed like priests in Jesus now to come into God's presence once and for all. Well, certainly to have blood or to have water sprinkled on them. That's, that's how God had always pictured cleansing his people to come into his, his presence. And in um, the New Testament, that language is used over and over again. Just one, one other prophecy in Ezekiel, chapter 36, uh, prophesying about the New Testament age, about, about the New Testament church, God pouring out his spirit through Christ. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean from all your unclean, uh, uncleannesses. Okay? So again, that's, that's the mode, that's the imagery that's used explicitly uh, in the scriptures over and over again. So here's, here's the summary uh, conclusion and hopefully we can understand something now of, of better of, of why it is. Uh, in our confession, Westminster Confession, chapter 28 says, uh, dipping of the person, speaking of baptism, dipping of the person into water, meaning immersion, uh, is not necessary. It's not wrong, but it's not necessary, it says. But baptism is rightly administered also by pouring or sprinkling water on the person. Okay? Uh, the Bible doesn't require or, or give... Even one single clear example of immersing someone in baptism. There's, there's not one example of that in the Bible. There are examples over and over and over again of sprinkling people clean, using, using a little bit of water um, or blood uh, to sprinkle someone uh, clean as the regular mode of, of symbolic cleansing. So, it will likely continue to be differences among, among believers uh, on this um, this topic, different perspectives until Christ comes again, I think. There will, be, um, there will continue to be jokes about baptism, probably, um, to tell. Well, we, we don't want to elevate the, the mode, the way we do baptism to something that's, that's critical or essential, and we always must be gracious with those who, who have a different perspective 
in this or anything. We want to acknowledge certainly that those who think differently are every bit as much of, of members of the kingdom of God and need the grace and the cleansing that we need. We, we need it in the same way that they do. Um, but we do want to strive to be as biblical as possible, to require what our Heavenly Father requires, not to require what He doesn't require in this, um, and always be learning how we can better love Him, learn from Him, and the, thing, the, the means of grace that He's given to us, and uh, reflect the character and teaching of, of Christ. And so again, want to remember to keep the, the main thing, the main thing uh, in, in baptism, the amazing blessing that all of Christ's people are sprinkled clean. You are sprinkled clean by the blood of the Son of God. Your, your baptism points uh, to the fact that you who are dead in sin, rebellious in sin against God, are reconciled to God through Jesus completely by His grace. There's, there's nothing uh, left for you to do. Uh, so to God be the glory. Uh, let's, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you again for uh, your word this morning and for the opportunity to consider the, the great blessing and uh, benefits of baptism. We pray again this morning that you would uh, bring to mind uh, for each of us more often uh, the fact that we have been baptized and the great uh, gift and blessing that is that you give that to us, to seal to us, to assure us um, of who we are in Christ that that would give us great comfort and encouragement, that it would spur us to live more and more um, as if we are united to Christ, as, as we are. And we pray this in his name. Amen.